Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear unto me and save me. Be you my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. You have given commandment to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and the cruel man. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my trust from my youth. By you have I been held up from the womb. You are he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall continually is shall be continually of you. I am as a wonder unto many, but you are a strong refuge. In my let my mouth be filled with your praise and my and with my honor with your honor all day. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength fails. For my enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul take counsel together, saying, God has forsaken him, persecute and take him, for none, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste for my help. Let them be confounded and consumed that are adversaries to my soul. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and I will yet praise you more and more. My mouth shall show forth your righteousness and your salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, even of your only. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and hitherto I have declared your wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not, until I have showed your strength unto this generation and your power to everyone that is to come. Your righteousness also, O God, is very high. Who has done great things, O God? Who is like unto you? You which were, has shown me great and sore troubles has, shall quicken me again and shall bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. I will also praise you with the psaltery, even your truth, O oh my God, unto you will I sing with the harp, O oh, you Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto you, and my soul which, has, which you have redeemed, my tongue also shall talk of your righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded which they brought unto shame that seek my hurt. This is one just full of praise. David is, David is very praised in this, has a lot of praise in this one. So we start at verse 1. In you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. And this idea of trust, safety, see, uh, refuge, a place to flee to. God, I put my trust in you. I am hiding in you, God. And again, this is, this is one of the greatest themes of the book of Psalms. Hiding in God. David understood what it meant to be delivered by God and let God be his defense. And, he, and this comes, I think, because he was a soldier, because he was a soldier. He understood you took and you went to battle in defensible places. You didn't, you didn't let the enemy take advantage of and be in the defense while you were in the open. And he understood this idea. And we've talked about how 
in, the, in that day, you had the cities which were fortified. That if you had trouble, your first goal was to run to the city because it was the best and easily defended, had more people. But they would build these towers all over the countryside. If you go to England or Germany or France and you drive down, you'll see remnants of towers everywhere in these fields. And the reason for those towers was simple. If you got caught in your field and an enemy came, came in that area, you didn't have to try to run the miles and miles to get to the city. You were always within a mile or two of some fortified structure. And you would run to these towers. They would have one small door that could be locked and bolted and no real windows. They had little slits. And they would, oftentimes they would have little, little they would have small arsenals of, of archery and, and those type of things. They'd have a sword in there just in case somebody breached the door. But you'd have the chance to have archery equipment and arrows in there to defend yourself from this enemy until the army could get from the city <laughs> to where you were at to defend you. But David understood this idea of fortresses all over the place. You had fortresses everywhere that you had a place to run to and hide that any novice could, be a def could defend. And this is God. He is, our, he is our fortress. He is our strong tower. He is our place of refuge. When we get caught out in the middle of nowhere by the enemy surrounding us, he is the place we are to run to. He has never expected us to stand there and fight the battle ourselves. Because it goes back to what we learned last week on Sunday morning, grace. He is our strength. He is our defender. He is the one that gives us the power because he is. Okay? He is everything for us and he doesn't expect us to go out. Even when Paul in Ephesians writes about put on the whole armor of God, each piece of armor is Jesus Christ. We're to put on Christ and he becomes our defender. The righteousness of Christ, the helmet of salvation, which is Christ, the shoes of the gospel, which is Christ, the, the, the girdle of truth, which is Jesus Christ. Every part of the armor is Jesus and Paul says, put on Jesus. He is your defender, he is your protector. And we just sit back and we rest in faith. And oh, it's so easy when we learn to rest in faith. It's easy when we are resting in faith. We may learn how to do it, but then we have to practice it. And sometimes we get out there and say, okay, I've been successful for quite a while now on these attacks. Maybe I can go out there and do it myself. And as soon as you step out of the fortress, you find out that you weren't doing a thing in the battle. It was the fortress doing the battle. Now, and you think about this, it really makes a really silly picture when you think about it. You're hiding in Christ and all the, all, the, all the attacks are hitting Christ. And then you step out thinking that you've done something good and you step out in the middle of the battle and get beat up. So the key on this is we need to learn to put our full trust in him 24-7, 365 days a year, put our trust in him. We all will do it. Every one of us will do it at some point where we think somehow that we've, we've been victorious. We, you know, look, look what's happened. You know, I, I haven't been attacked for a while. No, the fortress has been attacked pretty good. You know, you haven't felt the attacks. You haven't felt the storms. And if you've ever 
been in a, a major storm with heavy, heavy winds blowing against your house and the house is maybe even rattling a little bit, but the house is protecting you. You know, think about what it would be like to step out into that storm. Say, I'm just going to go on the storm. I've been protected for, you know, I've been protected for hours here. I'm just going to go stand out in the, the storm for a while and, and, and just feel the beating that you take from that storm. Uh, if you've ever been in a hurricane or, or a typhoon and you look out at everything blowing out there and you go, I am so glad I'm in this house. Now, I'm so glad I'm in this shelter. And we got to remember, it's the shelter that protects us, not, not something that I did. It's not me protecting me in the middle of that storm. It's the shelter that's been built. Even if I built a shelter, it's still not me protecting myself from the storm. It's the shelter. God is our shelter. He is the one we put our trust in. We hide in him. And then he says, let me never be put to confusion. Let me never feel shame. Let me never be disconcerted. How easy is it for us to be put to shame when we step outside the shelter and try to do it ourselves? God, let me just show you how strong I am. I can, I can handle this. I don't need you for this. Mm -hmm. And we may not be that blunt to tell God that in, in words, but what we do is telling him exactly that. Okay, God, I, I've got this. I can, I can talk to this person. I can handle this problem. And God says, okay, let me see how well you can handle this problem as the rug's being pulled out from under us and the, and the rocks are being poured upon us and we're being beat up and bruised and, and we very sheepishly eventually crawl back into the shelter saying, boy, did I mess up. God, I, I think I better let you be my defender. And I guess sometimes we need that beating up so we'll remember that he is our shelter. Uh, very few of us will ever learn by watching others get beat up. <laughs> you know, sometimes it just, we just have to go out and get beat up ourselves before we say, oh, uh, I think I'm just let God do it. And we let it, and David is saying, you, I put my trust in you. I'm just gonna hide in you, God. I am, you are my, you're my con confidence. Verse two, deliver me in your righteousness. Deliver me in your righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline your ear unto me and save me. David was understanding who is in charge. Whose righteousness is it that's going to save us? God's righteousness. My righteousness isn't worth anything. If I want, you know, I should not be going around and say, look at me, I'm, I'm you know, I've got it all put together. I, I'm, I've got it. Because God will make sure that we fall. He does not let our flesh stand up and be looked at. If we want to say, look at me, he's going he's to make us fall. He's going to make sure that we fall. He's going to set it up that we're outside of the protection and fall. And we see it often with, the, with all these different televangelists, especially, who, who think they're hot stuff because everybody's watching them and they've got this message to give, and then they'll end up doing something, doing something that brings them down size how do you handle things when you have this issue and you're a Christian and you know the person that is putting a stumbling block in front of you is not a Christian that's hard to you continue to trust in God as best you can I mean when the person is you know doesn't even believe doesn't even do nothing doesn't, doesn't stop God's power yeah 
God is still in charge and he's your defense. So he would still... You, you don't walk. You don't walk into their their stumbling blocks and pitfalls if you can help it. Right. But when they throw it in front of you, you're going to trust that God's going to help you. Uh, you will stumble sometimes. You will fall. But God also opens your eyes. One moment. We go back to my example of the the, the place where I worked, where most of the people were homosexuals. God wanted me to know, not so I could criticize them, not so I could beat them up, but that I would know who and what they were. God will open our eyes as Christians to the problems ahead of us and the, and the potential issues that are brought because we are his children. And he will help guard that. Now, with family, unfortunately, they know our weaknesses and they're going to be able to get in. And it's amazing what family will do to each other. I mean, you know, even in a good, loving family, you still will have them putting those little jibs and jibes and, and pushing your buttons to get well, you upset. And now when they're not saved, they try to do it really good to try to make you look less like a Christian. Well, I don't think they're even trying to do that because this is a different family member now. But it's that they are just, we would try to help them out, we help them out, and now it's just going the opposite way. Or they're, you know, we thought we were helping them out, and now since they think they got this, they want, it's, it's just like that. Sometimes helping people, the best way to help somebody is to not help them. And this is, this is where you have to really listen to God. Uh, when I was over at College Park, I worked I, as, as one of the deacons. I did a lot of benevolence work, you know, people coming in and asking for help from the church. And the thing we always were trying to consider is, are we truly helping them? Or are we enabling the problem for another month or two? You know, we're kicking the can down the road. If we felt that we weren't truly helping somebody, well, I need help on my rent. Well, how are you paying it next week? I have uh, next month. I have no idea. Well, at that point, it's like, well, are we throwing our money away for a month, or are we truly, you know, or if it was, well, you know, I was sick. I missed three days. You know, I missed four or five days of work, and you know, this is why I can't pay my pay my rent. You know, okay, then helping them was a good thing. So a lot of times, and this is where it gets hard, and people will look at you and say, well, you're just being hard-hearted. No, we're trying to use reason and help where, where help is really helpful. And when I had a car in, in Bible college, I'd have people that always wanted to borrow my car. And my answer was, I'll take you anywhere, but I'm not letting you have my car. And they'd get mad at me, and I'm going, look, you don't have a car. If you wreck my car, you don't have money in the bank to give me a car, otherwise you would have a car. I'm not just letting you use my car because you're not gonna use it correctly most of the time anyway. I had one guy that I would let borrow my car because I trusted him, he was my best friend. I knew he would take care of my stuff as well as I did, and he usually had a car of his own. So it wasn't a big deal letting him borrow my car. But I wasn't gonna let just anybody, I wasn't gonna be stupid. And so we want to be very careful. We're to be wise in the way we help people. And sometimes, sometimes even giving correction to somebody may be the best thing. But again, we need to do it in love. We need to do it with the right attitude and make sure that we have a relationship with that person. I can't just walk up to somebody on the street and say, you know, uh, well, you know, you've been doing this. I saw you doing this, this, and this. You need to get it right. No, they're not going to listen. They're going to go, well, who are you to be? you know, talking to me like this. 
And so we need to be very careful. God will open our eyes if we will just hide in him. He will open our eyes to the problems coming. And I love the way God will open the eyes of my situation. Sometimes I've had people come to church. I, want, I need to talk to the church about this, that, or the other thing. And, I'm, and God just puts it in my mind, no. And I say, no, it's not going to happen. And then, I, and then they'll say something that tells me, okay, this is why God told me no. You know, they'll, they'll just say something like, oh, well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't allow you to talk to my church for anything, you know, is where I want to go. And other times God says, yes, you know, and we just need to listen to him because he is our defender. He is our protector. And he protects us in the littlest areas so often. And sometimes these little areas, we may not even understand it at first. Because I've had people, you know, what it sounded like they wanted to talk to was good. And then when I said, when God said, no, don't do it. And I told them, no, they're right. They're, their attitude would come out. And you'd find out, wow, you know, this person really had a, had an ax to grind that they weren't telling me about. And so we want to be careful about how we deal, and especially with even family. And family is even harder to deal with because we think we know things about them sometimes. And, but God says he will deliver us. He will deliver us in his righteousness. See, that's one thing that really helped me out. Because otherwise, before I would never even think of it. But since I've really grown closer to God, I'm thinking twice about things, but I'm thinking, why is this person doing this? I mean, because we've been helping them. I would be very careful. And then it turned around, and we never expected this to happen. Yeah. We figured everything's going to be fine. Everything's good now. Nope. One thing to be very careful of is trying to figure out the whys on everything. Because God's not, number one, God's not going to tell us the why for what he's doing in our life. We might see it sometime in the future when we go through this hard time. God oftentimes will let us see why we went through it when it becomes applicable to how we deal with life. He will show us in heaven if, it's, if we even care at that point why something happened. But the one thing about this, when we're dealing with the lost world, the biggest answer for why are they doing it? Because they're lost. Mm -hmm. They're living and in the flesh. You just said that word and I just didn't think of it, but I think... Well, God knows everything that's going to happen, no matter what, before it even happens. So I figured, well, at least he knows what's going to happen. So I just got to put it in his yeah. hands. I learned that saying, if you give somebody an inch, they'll try and take a mile. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's the flesh. That's the, that's the human nature. And when you're dealing with somebody, when we deal with people, we need to keep in remembrance at all times that they're sinners. <laughs> Whether they're Christians or the world, they're sinners. And when we start asking why are bad things happening, it's real simple. They're living in the flesh. They're operating in the flesh. And they, when you're operating in the flesh, you want what's, what you think is best for you. And I say what you think because usually what we think is best for us is not what's best for us either as Christians or, or the lost world. The lost world thinks if I get drunk, I'll, I won't have any problems. Well, they wake up with this, this, all the problems they had when they, when they started, plus, you know, yeah, the headache, the physical payments, and possible, and possible other problems if, you know, if they misbehaved. You know, they do the same thing when they get into drugs. You know, I just need to, I need to escape for a while, but it's never gonna be the answer. And so we end up 
wanting to be very careful. We, we, God never promises that he's going to tell us all the whys in our life. He's not going to tell us why something happened. He's not going to tell us why he's trusting our, testing our faith. He's not going to tell, tell us why these sinners get away with what they get away with. That was one of David's biggest complaints. You know, God, why are these people seeming to be blessed? They're not, you know, I do something wrong and I get judged immediately. These lost guys, these nations and everything, they do something wrong and, and you don't do anything about them. And God's saying, just be patient. <laughs> I'm going to do this. Israel sinned for 490 years. They didn't let the land rest like God told them to do. So God says, okay, fine. You have not done what I've told you. You're going to go into captivity for 70 years. The land is going to rest all the time that I... Now, the people 490 years ago, oh, God's not doing anything. We're, we're okay. Nothing's happening. You know, you go in, you go up to 10 years from judgment. Well, God's, God never judges us. You know, we, we've been, you know, 480 years we haven't been letting the land rest and, you know, God's not done anything about it. 489 years. God's not going to judge us. Even though the prophets are saying that they're going to judge us. 490 years going into captivity. Okay. We need to be careful. God lets sin come to its complete com area where he said, stop. Stop, stop, stop. And sometimes it runs for generations. And God's saying, I want it to stop. I want it to stop. Can he make it stop? God could have made anything stop. He could take away our free will and make, it, make us be robots. He could do that. He's God. But he doesn't do that because he wants us to say, when we stand before him, he's going to say, why didn't you obey? Why didn't you come to Christ? And you only say, I chose not to or I chose to, whichever the answer was. I accepted Christ or I rejected him. And he says, I gave you a lifetime to make a, make a decision. The children of Israel came into the promised land that was inhabited by the Canaanite, the Hittites, the Amorites, and all the other ites that are listed there. Why did God judge them? Why did God say to destroy every last one of them, including their animals? because they were so deprived that the very ground and the animals had been contaminated with their sin. And God said, I'm now tired of it. I've given them 400, over 400 years to get right and they haven't. Go in and destroy. And when we deal with people, we don't know where we're at at the process. When we witness to people, we don't know whether, whether our words are just the seed that's planting, the watering of that seed, or the praise God, I got, to, I got to bring in the harvest. Because they've finally listened long enough. And when we're dealing with anybody, we need to remember they're sinners. And the one thing about sinners is, and I've said it so often, sinners sin. <laughs> okay? It's just the way it is. Christian sin. Christian sin. We're sinners. We're sinners. We will sin. God does not say we, are, we became Christians so we're perfect and won't sin. Now we will desire more to follow God. We will desire more to be obedient and not sin, but we will still sin because the flesh is in us and if it's not crucified at that particular second that we're dealing with it, we will sin. And so we want to be very careful when we're dealing with people. The why is real simple. Now, we may not like the why, they're a sinner. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And sinners sin. Sinners try to get what's best, what they think is best for them. And if that means hurting somebody else to do it, that's what's done. Because there's not that desire to love people. Matter of fact, when, when unsaved sinners do something good for you, they're usually wanting something. Because sinners are looking to do what they think is best for them. I'm going to be nice to you, but here's, you know, and in the back of my mind, if I'm nice to this person, maybe they will do this. And that is what ends up happening. And oftentimes they will take advantage of us as Christians when we love them and try to help them. They go, oh, I got this person. This person's a soft touch. I can, I can get whatever I want from them. Well, if we're listening to God, there's going to be a time when a word that is so hard for any, most people to use is no. No, you can't do. No, you can't have. No, you, we will not do. No is a hard word for us because we think of no as being harsh and unkind. Sometimes no is the best answer. Sometimes no is the right answer and is the loving answer. God has three answers for us when we ask for things. Yes, and he gives it to us. No, and he's not going to give it to us. And wait a while. <laughs> now, it's not the right time. The children of Israel go to, go to Egypt and they're enslaved. And I can guarantee you when they were slaves, they were always calling out, God, you know, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. And for a long time, the answer was, wait. He knew that he was going to deliver them. And the answer wasn't no, even though they thought it was no. It was, wait. They, Canaan had not completed their course of their sin. God had not worn out their, their trials. When he released them, he brought Moses in, brought them, and then sent them in with Joshua so that they would be destroyed for their sin. And that Israel would be the instrument of that destruction to bring God and to purify the entire land. And for most of those people, for those 230 years in Egypt, it was like hearing weight was not what they wanted. You know, because they took it as, no, I'm not delivering you, but God was saying, wait, it's not time. And we need to be very careful that we don't get ahead of God and say, when God is saying, wait, and we go, God, there's no way that I should be waiting. This is, this is too important, God. You know, I'm being hurt. You know, I, I am not happy where I'm at. And one thing God has not promised us is happiness. He's promised us peace. He's promised us joy. But he hasn't promised us happiness. Now, we get to be happy quite frequently. <laughs> But he hasn't promised that we'll be happy all the time. You look yeah, at David's life, he wasn't happy most of the time. What's that? Because happiness is not in the Bible. Right? No, it's really not. Blessed means happy in yeah. many cases. Yeah, but saying happiness, but yeah. love and joy, and joy peace. Is, and peace is we can joyful, but not happiness. We can guarantee that Joseph was not happy for 13 years of his life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, he was happy when he was a child. He was sold into slavery at age 17, and it was 13 years later before he was promoted. And I can guarantee for 13 years, he wasn't happy. Now he had responsibilities, and he was raised up. But I can say, if I'm a slave, I'm not going to be happy. I may be joyful and okay with, you know, that I was put in charge. Then he's accused of rape and sent to prison. 
Just when things were looking okay in his life, he's been put in charge of Potiphar's house, he's sent to prison. Okay, you know, and you can go, and at that time, I can just picture him. Uh, God, I was being kind, I did what I was supposed to do, I didn't, I didn't get seduced, and now you put me in prison? You know, and he was in prison for a period of time. It took him 13 years before God showed him why he was in all of this situation. And then he was promoted. Isn't there somewhere Jesus himself says something about that accepting him would not make? I don't know the words, that's what I'm asking you, but life won't be a bed of roses with me? Well, basically he told them they hated me, they'll hate you. So, I mean, and foxes have no, no place to lay their head. No, no, you know, yeah. he, he told, quite often he told them, you know, life's not going to be easy. And, he does, and we should not expect it to be easy. All right, we're going to close in prayer. We've got two verses done, which is what I kind of expected. Yeah, there's a song like that. We promise you rose garden. Lord, we come before you. We ask you just to give us a wonderful time this week. Help us to grow and to develop with you. Help us to see who you are. Help us to learn to let you be our defense. Help us to understand that you're in control. No matter what's happening, you're in control. And just let us have peace from that. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.